0: Hello and welcome. This is Colleen O'Grady, the host of the Power Your Parenting Moms of Teens podcast. This is a gathering place for moms of preteens, teens, and young adults. My mission is to first and foremost, support and encourage you, mom, so that you can live well and reclaim your life. Two, this show will help you have the best possible relationships with your teens so that you can communicate, motivate, and guide them effectively, and actually enjoy them. And third, I will bring you top-notch guests who will share the newest in adolescent research and trends so you can be prepared and aware of what your teens are facing today. Always, you will leave each episode armed with practical parenting tips. Welcome back, everyone, to the 258th episode of How Are Your Parenting Moms the Teens podcast. I'm Colleen O'Grady, the host of the show. So this episode was such a rich conversation, and we talked about how to create your overarching philosophies about parenting, how to get clear about your beliefs and mantras for the everyday life, how important it is to be curious in your conversations with teens, and how being a good listener is really about being an exceptional learner. How does being a hostage negotiator, Give you the skills to be a good mom? Well, you'll have to listen. Our guest today, Carlene Savage, is a sought after speaker, trainer, hostage negotiator, and conflict resolution expert with a passion for fostering peaceful, harmonious environments. Through her Savage theory of resolution, she emphasizes the importance of communication and collaboration in order to achieve success. Through more than 15 years of professional experience, Carlene has learned that the conflicts we experience in business are usually a reflection of the conflicts happening at home. The belief inspired her to write her book, The Confident Teen Blueprint. Throughout her career, Carleen has worked with corporations, educational institutions, nonprofit organizations, and government agencies creating a positive environment for growth and development, Carlene is the author of the Confident Teen Blueprint. So welcome, Carlene. Thank you. So glad to be here, Colleen. I know, I know. So the first question that I ask all my guests is, are you a mom? And if so, what are the ages of your kids? <laughs> Buckle up.
1: <laughs> Perfect. Uh, I have seven children. The wow. The is, I know, right? I was planning on one, but I had seven. The youngest is 28. Wow. Oldest is 43. And you Uh,
0: look like you're 22.
1: I'm just going (laughs) to love on you
0: a little bit. (laughs) Thank you.
1: Oh, yeah, no, I'm older than most people in every room I walk into.
0: (laughs) Well, you look great. And parenting seven kids. Oh, my goodness. I know. So your youngest is age of my daughter. My daughter's 28. Right.
1: When you said it, it was like, oh, yeah, I totally get this. And when she comes home and they walk in the door, it's just like the world stops just for a minute. Right. And then you just soak it up.
0: Yes. I love when my daughter surprises me and that I get to see her. It is heaven on earth. I know some of the people out there listening just can't even imagine that, but that's why we're here because what we want to talk about is is how you can create that relationship so that you can't wait to see them after they leave home. So you wrote a book called The Confident Teen Blueprint, A Parent's 30-Day Challenge to Empower Your Teen. So tell me, why did you write that? I
1: did. You know, it's really interesting because as a young mom, when I was a young mom, I would have people come through our home, people that were associates that would eventually become friends. And what would happen is neighbors would come, people at church would come, and they'd say, "Carlene, how are you doing it? What are you doing? I noticed your kids do their jobs. How does that work? I noticed your kids say, I love you. How did you get that to happen? When they talk so nice about you guys, how does that work? How do you do that? I have a disrespectful, you know, son at home or they would start sharing. And at that time, I learned because I began sharing things. And what I learned is among the people I loved, my friends, extended friends, what I realized is that they would listen to how I would do things, then dissect it. This works, that doesn't work. This works, that doesn't work. And I was simply sharing what I did. So here we are decades later and I still get people asking because now my kids are grown and we go places together or they'll speak up on situations or we'll be in a group with a bunch of people and they'll say something and they'll look at me and go, how did you do that? And so I finally just went to work and said, okay, I'm going to, it's a super intimate conversation for me because, you know, my children are my life source in a lot of ways. And so talking about what I did with them is a really intimate conversation for me. But I decided, okay, I'm going to show people what I did. And if I put it in a book, you can take in, soak up what works, or you can disregard what doesn't work for you. But these are the things I did to build confident people. When they left the house, these people went on a tear in life. And they've all been successful in their own choices, successful at what they do. And for various reasons, some are notable as far as what other parents would look for as popular things, and others are carving ways, but they're all successful in what they've chosen to do. So that's where it came from.
0: We're going to dive into the book. Okay. So I have a question though, before I do that, what is your best Three pieces of advice. I mean, seven kids and you have confident kids. What are your three? Like, here you go. Here's my top three.
1: Well, they've evolved a little bit, but when I started, one of them was they will always know they're loved. Mm -hmm. Number two, I would never compare. You know, people my age, when we were younger, that was the thread. That was the theme of parenting styles is that they would compare. You're not like your brother. You're not like your sister. Or you're doing it just like your dad. Those are the kinds of things that you might hear when I was a youth. And I didn't like that. So that was something I pulled out and said, I'm not going to do that. And then somebody just asked me the other day, what is the best discipline? And what is the best discipline you can do for your teenagers? And my response is, the best discipline for every teenager, every child, everything, everyone, the best discipline you can do is follow through. Follow through with your integrity. Honor your own discipline rules. Do that and you will elevate that relationship. They will know, trust you moving forward. When in doubt, they will turn their head. And I know this from experience. Where they will turn their head and look at you for confirmation if that person is telling them truth or not and that is the anchor for kids growing up so those are the three i would probably move with that's good
0: so in chapter two you title it new rules yeah so what are the new rules well new rules are you make your own rules
1: but it is that again back in our day or my day i don't know but It used to be hard and fast rules. It was like, you're going to get straight A's. Your curfew is midnight. You need to be home. And what if that doesn't work? What if that doesn't leave any space for conversation? No space for negotiations. And if we're doing a good parenting job, what we're doing is we're teaching them the skill sets that they need in life. It's not about my house, my rules concept, although there can be that, Philosophy of sorts. But ultimately, shouldn't we be teaching them negotiation ability? Shouldn't we be teaching them how to look at the world critically and be able to decipher through it? Shouldn't we be doing all those things? So when I say new rules, I'm saying, let's look at scope. For example, my kids are going to a a football game, and the standard is they go to the football game, have a great time, they go out for pizza or burgers afterwards, right? What if the rule is curfews at midnight? That's the old rule. The new rule is, when are you going to be finished? Tell me what you're doing and let's figure out when you're going to be finished. And if we pull that, one, you're going to get collaborative work. You're going to get them into the conversation. In order for rules to be followed, you need to have buy-in. Think about your workplace, right? You're not going to get buy-in. If not everybody's on board, you'll get people sneaking around. Not that that still won't happen. but That's the new rule. What if you need to get all A's? What if they stress out during tests? I had a child that stressed out during test time, right? What if you move that to do, is it your very best? Just tell me if it's your very best work. If it is, I'll get right behind you. I'll Mm -hmm. advocate for this. I'll look for alternatives for you to do your very best work and show up.
0: What if that's the new rule? So Mm -hmm. that's what I'm talking about when I talk about new rules. Well, I love that. And I'm also thinking like my mom's is that they would think something like, well, my kid would take advantage of that. So is that a question? Well, yeah, (laughs) I mean, that sounds great. But if I said, when are you going to be done? And they're going to say two uh, in the morning. Yeah. And what do you do?
1: What you're doing is you're actually having a conversation, just like you would with your spouse. Hey, you're going to work. What are you doing after work? I'm going to be home a little late. Okay, well, what's going on? And you would filter through that, wouldn't you? So when he says 2 a.m., if my son says, I'm going to be home at 2 a.m., it's not this random, like throw something at the wall and see what sticks. It is, oh, okay. So you guys are going to be doing it at 2 a.m. What are you doing? So the game (laughs) gets over at this time, about this time, I'm guessing. And then you'll do this. And as a parent, Do you know their friends? Do you know who they're going with? Are you paying attention to all of that? Because more than likely, I would look at it and go, okay, so then you're gonna go out for burgers afterwards. Well, everything closes. Like your best burger place is gonna close at about midnight or one. So what are you doing after that? Oh, well, we're gonna go to friend's house. So whose friend? You know, what house? And then I'm wondering, because I'm filtering my information, much like I would do if it was my spouse, if it was anybody else, So I'm going to filter that information. And then I'm going to say, let's go to worst case scenario, Colleen. They say, yeah, we're going to go to a friend's house. I don't know. We're going to go with friends. And it's just, that's what we're going to do. I would say something along the lines of, well, since I don't know them and I don't know their parents, and I don't know that you want me really talking to the parents so I can figure that out for you. Why don't we just say, is it enough for you to go out for burgers or pizza afterwards? Are you good with that? And generally speaking, if they get extra time they're going to be happy with the extra time mm-hmm. so it can be an all or nothing i mean we, we can certainly i could get pushed to the point where they go no it's two or nothing then i'd say nothing yeah <laughs> i mean yes. that, i could possibly pull that or i could renegotiate that and say okay well if, if it's an all or nothing i would probably choose nothing so do you just want to go to the football game and come home How does that look for you? I'd rather see you go have a great time. Do you want to do that?
0: No, I like this. I love it. I think these examples helps moms know a little bit more what you're talking about. So let's just say with the, I've been a marriage and family therapist for 30 years. So I hear lots of conversations. What about the parent who's like afraid if they're not like, you need to do this and you need to make good grades because you need to go to college. And they're afraid to say, just do your best. And they see their kid kind of in their room, just on the phone and not doing anything.
1: Mm-hmm. So we're
0: talking about the parents' response to that. What would that conversation be like? It's like, so if you set it up like, I just want you to do your best. Mm-hmm. And it's okay if you don't make A's, but you just do your best. So my oldest ones are girls. They tend to perform much better
1: overall. And then I had boys and they got (laughs) in school and that was really fun. And, you know, they came home with a D or an F or they didn't get their assignment done. That's when the mantras began in that space. And so I would look at them and I'd say, is this your very best? Yes, it's my very best. So not doing your assignment was your very best work. Well, and you have to give them the space to answer that. Mm -hmm. Because if they answer in falsehood, so they'd say something that's untrue, then you have to walk down that path with them. Yes, it's my very best. It's the best I can do. So is the problem time? So you don't have enough time to do your homework to be able to do better in that result. So you don't have the time, because if you don't have the time, I can help you with that. But if this is your very best work then we need to talk to the teacher about this and let her know you're not capable of anything else. So when you really do edify your kids, you are putting onus on them. That's what I meant when you asked me those three things, when I said, honor your discipline policy, honor the rules and follow through, that's the deal. If you follow through in those questions, It puts the onus on them and a lot of parents can't take it. You know, I had a parent of a teenager and he was having real issues with his sniffing gasoline Mm -hmm. and the mom said, if you do that, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. Well, so he did it. Okay. He's in counseling, he's doing all these things. She comes over to me when I'm, you know, a young mom and she said, you know, I just don't know what to do. And I said, well, follow through on the consequences. And she goes, I can't. It hurts me too much to hurt him like that. Oh, what were the consequences? I don't remember what hers were, but it meant more of oversight. You need to be home if that's the case. You need to be watching him. You need to ask somebody else that's bigger and stronger if he's going to get physical. I mean, there were just all these. I could go down the road so far mm-hmm. because it's really To edify your kids, to work your very best, very hardest for your kids, you are going to hold to your rules. And that's why your overarching philosophies that I talk about in the book become so critical because you got to really know them. You got to choose them. You got to feel
0: them. You got to follow through with them. That's really good. That's really good. (laughs) Yay. Um, All right. So your next chapter was called Common Challenges. So what is that chapter about?
1: So it's kind of like what we just talked about. It's that you have to, common challenges. Parents really don't want to hurt their children, and inflict that pain, the immediate pain, the immediate discomfort. We don't want to do that. Okay. But we do want successful, confident kids, right? Mm-hmm. We do want them to be able to be resilient, stand against the winds in society and hold their own truth. We do want them to be able to be critical thinkers. We want all that stuff. And yet the first pain point and we fold as parents. So Mm -hmm. you have to want your overarching philosophies. I have to want my children's confidence more than I want the free flowing, beautiful, oozing experience that I'm going to experience today. Mm -hmm. I have to be willing. So one of the new things with my adult children is my new overarching philosophies is. I'd rather lose you in truth than keep you in lies because I'm going to tell you the truth. And if that means you're not going to talk to me for a year, I'm willing to take that one. And I'm willing to take it for you because I love you so much that I'm going to be the only one that will tell you the whole truth. Now, you can do it in sound bites and all of that stuff, but you've got to be willing. And we say that as parents, we're willing to die for our kids or we're willing to take it all are we willing to do it when we have to make our, you know, three-year-old sit on timeout 15 times that day? Mm -hmm. Or would we rather go to the mall or to Target and go shopping and have a great day? Right. So it's, are we willing to face our truth? Are we, do we want it more than we don't want the pain?
0: That's really good. I have so many stories that I could back that Good, up huh. with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet you do. Many, many stories. I guess one of the stories is this middle school girl was not doing what she was supposed to do. And her mom said, "It's okay, it's mom was just looking forward. Her husband was out of town. She just wanted to read a book and have a quiet evening. And she told her "It's okay, you know, it's time for bed. And her daughter didn't want to do that. And she kept coming into her mom's room and started screaming with her and she got really upset and the girl and she broke a huge vase and then mom just lost it and then dragged her into the room and so what happened what I mean what was the consequence and she kind of just cocked her head and stared and well there was no consequence Mm -hmm. so she thought kind of just getting angry was a consequence Mm -hmm. but The next day she took her daughter shopping, exactly what you said, took her shopping. She had some friends over to spend the night. So what did that girl learn? I mean, she learned like this pays off. Oh, my gosh. Okay, Colleen, (laughs) I was just talking to a parent
1: the other day and I was saying, look, how you honor your discipline code when they're three is how they're going to honor your discipline code when they're 13. Mm. It is just going to happen that way. Yeah, they don't know any other model, right? Yeah, if they don't know the model. So I'm coaching a mom for also currently right now. And she's got a three year old and a one year old. And her relationship with her three year old is toxic. They yell and scream at each other. And she escalates, he escalates, he knows exactly the push and buttons to push the three year old knows exactly what to do what to say to control mom. And mom escalates real fast, starts screaming. If you're looking at it from a conflict resolution standpoint, it is a beautiful system of a hamster wheel that you watch. Mm -hmm. Watch how that three-year-old has such control and power over mom. So now I'm working with her to try and bring it down. Mm -hmm. And you have to be willing to do that. Boy, that mom is so brave and courageous. And I just have such an admiration for her that she is digging into this. So now we're watching her work with her one-year-old. The one-year-old is now every time she's in a room, he whines eh, 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 and he whines the whole time until she picks him up and she picks him up. So I was, it was kind of like the nanny show, right? I, mm-hmm. I spent a little bit with her and it was kind of like the nanny show. And I said, no, no, we don't do it. You know, what is it that you want to achieve with him? You know, let's go back to your philosophies. What is it that you want to achieve with him? Is that what's going to accomplish this? Mm-hmm. So we ended up doing an alternative in that situation. and. Then I watched him with his dad, this one year old, and the dad says, Lay down on the couch, you're going to go take a nap. Child lays down on the couch, not screaming, not yelling. This one year old goes to play. The dad says, No, you can't touch that. He basically turns around and walks away, finds something else to do. And what we don't realize is that we're waiting till they're teenagers, you know, after they're toddlers to start disciplining. They learn when they're nursing, they can learn in the womb, they can learn. Things, if we give them a chance and we respect and honor their intelligence, the minute we know them.
0: That's good. It's really good. So, in the 30 days, you break them down in weeks. So, the first week, what do you focus on? I think some um, of the philosophies.
1: It is the belief system, it's coming up with your belief system. So, in the first week, you're kind of trying to figure out who your support system is, what that looks like. Are they in? Is everybody into this game, this change or not? Because you can do it alone if you need to. But you got to test the waters. You've got to come up with your overarching philosophies. What matters to you? At the end of the day, when they walk out that door, what is going to matter? What do you need to know? And I remember when my oldest went to college and she got on the plane, going to college. And I remember going, oh, oh my gosh, I didn't teach her how to sew. I have everything in my head. I didn't teach her how to sew. Oh my gosh, I've done such a terrible job. And then I realized she can learn that. That's something we can do. But what did I teach her? What does she know?
0: So you have to come up with your own belief system and find so out- Can you, you give us some examples of what some of the overarching philosophies would be?
1: The one I use is, one of my overarching philosophies when my kids were little is, they will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I love them unconditionally. And I never knew what that was like. Did you? Did you know <laughs> what unconditional love <laughs>
0: okay. okay. I think until you experience parenting, you have no clue of what that means. But when you were
1: a youth, did you feel like somebody loved you unconditionally? No, 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 no. Okay. So I didn't either. And so when I started really studying, and I started at 10 or 11 years old, I talk about it in the book, I started about 10 or 11 years old watching because I was so unhappy and I felt so betrayed for different reasons. And so I started looking at, okay, well, Carlene, if you feel so unhappy, what would make you happy? So I started watching other moms. And so when I came up with my overarching philosophy, one of them was. I want my children, because that's what I wanted. My children will know that they are loved unconditionally, unconditionally. And so everything in the book moves from that overarching philosophy. And it's not these detailed minutiae, because that's what a lot of parents get into it with me. They go, well, my son yelled at me when I told him to put away the dishes. Okay, well, okay, deal with that. That's a deal with thing. That's a now thing. But Mm -hmm. your overarching philosophy is that they will know they are loved unconditionally. So that's an overarching philosophy. What's another one? I'm trying to think of some of the other ones. I have them in the book. I did provide a list in the book. But another one might be that you are capable of doing anything, anything you choose. Now, we have to be careful as parents because we want to make sure it's not our anything, it's their anything. Mm -hmm. So you have to edify them to the point that, what do you want to do? So I remember when my sons got into soccer, my two boys, and they were nine, I think. And I remember sitting them down and going that they showed some promise at nine. It's like, really? I don't really know what that looks like. What does promise (laughs) look like at nine? Uh, But anyway, my one son was an incredibly fast runner. And so they put him as a forward, the front line. But he would run so fast that the sideline refs weren't paying attention. So he would always appear to be offsides. And when we would look at video, he wasn't offsides. But by the time the sideline refs, and these guys are all just amateur sideline refs, right? Uh Uh By the time they were paying attention, he was offsides from what they could see. So what they did instead is moved him all the way to the back to the defensive line. That way they said he could run. By the time these guys pay attention, he'll still be on sides and he won't. You know, they won't penalize them. So I remember saying, you can be anything. I remember sitting them down as a family and saying, this is what they want to do. You can do anything. Fast forward a few years on that. They did show exceptional promise. They were in the newspaper. They were getting offers. Just a lot of things were happening. And I remember sitting them down and saying, okay, you guys are incredible. You know, you have such power and such strength and uh, you can be anything, do anything, have anything. What do you want on this topic? Do you even want this? How does that look for you? And again, it brought them into the conversation and then they could figure it out. And this is the sacrifice it's going to require. And this is what you're going to have to say no to. And the things you're going to have to say yes to. And are you ready for that? What does that look like and feel like for you? Okay, let's do it. You know what I mean? So That is how you can come up with an overarching philosophy. But then I talk about in the book, your mantras and your implementation plan on those. Mm -hmm. So anyway.
0: So what would be the best way for a mom to figure out what her overarching philosophy is?
1: You have to ask yourself the question when they walk out at 18 years old, what is the absolute thing I want them to know? And it could be three, five things. I mean, you can't have a list of dozens. You have to have a small list, a condensed list Mm -hmm. of what is that? Now, let me pull this back in another way. I do conflict resolution. That's my work. And so I'm used to looking at worst situations, horrible situations, mental illness situations. And when you're looking at those things and you run the risk of losing a child, what would you say? What would you want? What would you want to change in that moment? If you only have one moment left with them, what is it you want them to know? That is an overarching
0: philosophy. That's great. Yeah, that's really good. So is a personal mantra different from an overarching philosophy? Yeah. So your overarching philosophy is your 50,000 foot view. Your
1: mantra is your everyday conversation to get there. So, okay. if my overarching philosophy is my kids will always know that they are loved unconditionally. Mm-hmm. And that means my daily mantras that can best be compared to an affirmation, except I struggle with affirmations because while I think that there's quality in it, I think we've dummied it down to be things like a wish list that you don't believe. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. anyway, so it's like a wish list. Well, a mantra. Is something you actually believe. And it's something that you insert into your dialogue at dinner table in the morning, when they're facing a challenge, when you're getting ready to have a hard conversation, a conflict conversation with them. Your mantras matter. So if my overarching philosophy is they will know that they are loved unconditionally and I'm facing a conflict with them and they did something that I have got a call from the school and something happened and I've got to deal with it, which I did. (laughs) <laughs> so I'll give you an experience. My son, one of my sons and daughters, they were at school and my daughter wrote my son's paper for him, for his class. And she was a little misstudious and she, it was no big deal to her. And it was like, so I get a call. Hey, your kids have plagiarized or, you know, and copied each other's work or whatever. And so I had to have a tough conversation with him. But my overarching philosophy is I have a love affair with my kids. And I totally, that was in my soul. My mantra in this conversation was, okay, you know that I love you. You know, I will stand beside you no matter what, if you tell me the truth, right? You've got to tell me the truth. So here's the deal. Now, if it's still wrong, it's still going to be wrong and we're not going to be able to change that, but I will stand with you. So that would be my lead in. That's my mantra. I love you. You matter. You're so important. That's the mantra. Now you take that same mantra and you move it into breakfast or, you know, you're running late. You know, love and keep you as they're walking out the door. Do the right things as they're walking out the door. Can't wait to see you at the end of the day as they're walking out the door. Another, these are just things that you say to instill that thing. When they're younger, the same overarching philosophy, they will know that, that they're loved unconditionally. My mantra when they were little would be something like, oh my gosh, you did that so well. That's so great. You're amazing. And those are mantras leading to them to believe, I love you unconditionally. I've got you. Mm -hmm. So, and just to close that story gap, Colleen, when I sat there with my two teenagers who had done the work and all that stuff, you know, I said, well, I talked to the teacher. They did tell me, yes, we did that. And I said, well, your teacher, is going to give you an F for that paper. <laughs> and so we're going to have to live with that one. And it was so funny because the one she wrote the paper for, nothing happened to him. So of course, the daughter who did the work, she was like, that is so unfair. And I'd go, you're right, it's so unfair, but lesson learned, we don't do this. You're capable of so much more. You're so smart. And then I told my son, come on, you cannot set your sister up like that. Don't say your, you're better than this. These are all mantras that look like maybe affirmations, but they're believable. The, I believed them. And so that's what I was talking about when we talked about the last piece. So your mantras support your overarching philosophies because you use them every day in all these situations. I love that. It. You can just do it casually too, Colleen, when dads will say, oh, sweetie, I love you. I saw this thing on social media where this dad would go in, just sit in the room of the, one of his kids. That's a mantra. That's driving home that thing. And it's probably mm-hmm. fits more into the implementation plan, but yeah.
0: no, I love it. This is so great because it's something that I talk a lot about in my book, Dial Down the Drama, which is being intentional. You know yeah. how to be intentional instead of reactive. And this is such a intentional way of parenting, which I love. So what are some activities parents can use with their teens to enhance listening skills? Don't parents listen well?
1: Don't parents listen well? I don't know. I would ask (laughs) I'd ask how your how's your personal relationship going? That'll tell you. (laughs) So I believe it's in the chapter week four of chapter four or chapter three. Anyway, it's in the book. I give seven ideas, seven games interactive games that will allow you to see how you're listening. One of them is that I gave in my TED talk too, that you had watched. Yeah. It is where you listen to somebody for 15 minutes. Now you can put a spin on that. When you listen to somebody for 15 minutes, don't interject your noises, your opinions, either by face, noises, hand gestures, you know, facial expressions, all of those things. Don't insert your opinions and you just listen. A little twist on that is to do it for 15 minutes and then have somebody feedback to you. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the act of listening, feedback Mm -hmm. to you, what they heard, but look for verification from the person who talked. So that's a different thing. You can parrot back what you heard. They can say yes, or you can parrot back what you heard and ask them to confirm, ask them to clarify. Is that what you meant? Or what else about that? And that causes a listening skill because in order to listen, they had to have heard the first 15 minutes or even, you know, three minutes so that they could ask something, but they had to listen. That's one of the activities that they can do.
0: I like that. I have a funny story, which is, I think my daughter was maybe 21 or 22 and she called me and I texted her. I said, you know, I've lost my voice, like I'm hoarse. And she goes, oh, that doesn't matter. And so she called me and she's like, blah, 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 You know, I got another tattoo, blah, 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 blah. And <laughs> because this has been the best conversation ever. Oh. oh, now, did she say that or you? That's what she said. She was just loving that I couldn't say anything. Great. And how it's- did that feel for you? <laughs> Funny? Well, it was probably a really good thing that at that point, I couldn't say anything because I did was like, like, what another tattoo, I would have probably said something about that. So that was mm-hmm. kind of good that I lost my, but I I mean, I am a good listener. I'm mm-hmm. a pretty good listener. Mm-hmm. But I that she said that was just very funny. You know, just
1: isn't it interesting that and the thing mm-hmm. is, is that when you're in this work, like you and I are, you keep learning, right? Oh, for sure. So when she was twenty one or twenty two, she taught you something else. Yeah, and I didn't learn it till, you know, my a lot of my kids were older now. I listened to them back then, when they were growing up too. But there's new kinds of listening and conflict resolution. It's a different kind of listening. Yeah,
0: I will say, I mean that's on the lighter side. I will say that I can relate to every single mom out there listening to us. Is I do think there's some. Big, big, big challenges to listening for parents Mm -hmm. because we have something to say. We want to say what we want to say. So if if they're telling us something, we're just thinking like we want to drive in our own point. We have our agenda in our heads. In my book, I talk a lot about the being a monitor mom, that we're just trying to get our kids from one point to another. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're listening to monitor where it's very hard to have that open space to really, oh, I'm just going to listen to this. Right. So I know one thing that you and I were talking about before we started this conversation. And one of my big values is curiosity. Mm -hmm. And I love curiosity. And I did youth ministry for 10 years before oh, wow. you know, I was a therapist mm-hmm. and so it was so much easier to listen to teens and I had just so much space to hear all their stories <laughs> and yeah oh of course you're going to do those kind of things yeah for sure and then you know when I am a mom I'm like you know it just all yeah. of the stuff just <laughs> rises up yeah but I do think that What I think you are good at, and I know it changes the conversation so much, is when you start to really be curious. Because a lot of times that monitor mom, we're not curious because we have our agenda. There's no curiosity. Just do your homework. Mm. So I would like to hear what you would have to say about curiosity. Curiosity. So my
1: background is conflict resolution, and I got my master's in it. But then I went on and I got my, I was certified in hostage and crisis negotiations and working or volunteering in all those fields, learning, practicing in all those fields, I saw some similarities. And so I actually trademarked those, this five skill model to do that. And one of them that unites all the five skills is that one of the skills is curiosity. It unites all five skills. That said, understand that in these fields of mediation, hostage, and crisis, they have between a 60 and a 90% success rate. So when you apply these skills that are used in these fields, your chances of success are much higher Mm. and they're in the worst of situations. They're in lawsuits, crisis, and hostage. So one of the skills that I saw was curiosity. And just to be fair, like you, we were talking about parents and they have an agenda and everything, their agenda is to protect and to build that landmine, those landmines that their kids are going to walk on and walk into. And we can be triggered by them saying, for example, for you, you got another, I got another tattoo and that could trigger you. Some people talk about the ink in the body and how healthy is that? And I mean, there's all these places that our minds as parents can go, right? Curiosity. In the aspect of how I've used it is different because there's lots of curiosities. Now we just talked about a curiosity for protection. Mm -hmm. It's risk averting. That's that curiosity where you're going, tell me why, tell me where, who's the name. And you're getting all the data because you're curious so that you can take action. A ladder climber, corporate ladder climber is curious because they're trying to figure out who's on my team and who isn't. And what do I need to do? There's a curiosity that helps you do. Hobbies, like 18th century art I talk about in my TED Talk. You want to explore that. That's a different kind of curiosity. The curiosity in conflicts, the curiosity that we should be using as parents is along the lines of what is used in mediation, crisis, and hostage. This is the way I've coined it. When we talk about curiosity, or we talk about what makes your marriage last so long, or how can your kids are like that? A lot of times people will say, And if you do research on Google or, you know, you look at it, people will say it's empathy and then being a good listener. If you're a good listener and my spot, my space that I work in is what if, yes, you're a good listener, but what if you should be an exceptional learner? Oh, that's good. Curiosity is not just about being a good listener. It's about being an exceptional learner. Like that. When you're curious about your children, you are curious to learn, to drink them up, to Mm -hmm. understand and absorb, to find out where they're coming from. And I don't mean the cliche, find out where they're coming from. I had a young mom call me up and she goes, okay, what's the one skill? And she was having a problem with her teenager. What's the one skill? What's his curiosity? And so I said, you need to be interested and in listening. And then she goes, Great, I got it. So she took her curiosity, and this is how it ended up. The daughter had done something without the parents knowing. And the mom said, Did you really think you were going to get away with that? <laughs> and that was, she goes, I used my curiosity. It was great. <laughs> and I thought, oh no. <laughs> Talk about repeat, put this on repeat. So she did, She, you know, they had other issues going on. But if you walked into that conversation as an exceptional learner and then a good listener, you're going to get so much farther because then Mm -hmm. it becomes a conversation of, you know, how did this happen? What Mm -hmm. happened first? What made you Mm -hmm. feel like you couldn't say anything? Mm -hmm. Did you feel like, what have I done that makes you feel like you can't tell me? Is there a part of the conversation that maybe was inappropriate that you didn't want me to know? Mm-hmm. Is there something else going on that mm-hmm. I should know about? Mm-hmm. You know, and then you can go back to your mantras. You know, I love you. It matters where you're at, what you think, and what moves you to do that make these decisions. I want to know. That's a mantra. You matter. I love you. And it leads back to my overarching philosophy that they will know that they are loved without bias unconditionally. So, anyway,
0: I hope that takes. A step. No, that's so good. That's so good. It's interesting. You know, I've seen teens in my practice for, again, 30 years. Mm-hmm. And so, a lot of those teens did not want to come to therapy. Now, right. actually, it's interesting. I mean, I would say the last 15 years, my teens want to come Mm -hmm. because I see a lot of teens with anxiety. But I mean, when I was first, maybe 20 years ago, like they did not want to come Mm -hmm. and they were like, their agenda was to not talk to me. Right. So I intuitively became an exceptional learner and I would get curious about their school and get curious about the different kind of groups. Mm -hmm. and I was genuinely curious, and I genuinely wanted to know, and when I was really in that space, they couldn't be quiet. They just, they wanted me to know, because I wasn't understanding, and it was, they just had to educate me, and I was open to being educated. Mm -hmm. So, one thing, as I was listening to you, I think sometimes, that we aren't exceptional learners. Like we may be listening to our kids and they say something, and just like you said, they we get triggered. And so in that moment, we are not going to be exceptional learners. But I do think that I know what's worked for me is that to take some time and think about it and kind of get away and then come back to that conversation. And then I'm ready to truly listen and learn. And yeah, I think some of those leading questions is really not curiosity because there's an agenda with that. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, you and I could talk for hours more. And (laughs) um, (laughs) oh my gosh, this is a great conversation. So how can people know more about you? And I'm assuming that your book, The Confident Team Blueprint, they can find that on Amazon, right? Yes, they can.
1: You can find it on Amazon. Also, if you go to my website, because I offer a free webinar that I give that goes through this stuff. But if you go to my website, carlanesavage.com forward slash wait list, all lowercase, one word, wait list. Mm -hmm. If you go there, I give you two things. And Colleen, I'd love to give them to your audience as well, which is you get the free digital download of my book. So you don't have to go get it on Amazon. You can just get the digital from me. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so you can do that and get the digital. It's different than the print. I mean, it's the same thing as the print, but in the print, you can write notes and there's sections that you can write in and things like that. But you can get the digital and you'll be put into the list so that I can invite you to a free class with me online. And then the second thing I'm going to give is I do a parenting style, How you, what your parenting style is. Seven questions, seven potential
0: outcomes to your parenting style. So you can do that as well. Eek. That sounds great. Great. And so that is com slash waitlist. Correct. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. This has been a wonderful conversation. I've loved it. Thank you so much, Pauline. This concludes this week's episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. If this podcast has been helpful, I would absolutely love it if you could go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. This makes it easier for other moms like you to find the support and encouragement they need. Also, my award-winning best-selling books, God Down the Drama, Reducing Conflict, Reconnecting with Your Teenage Daughter and my newest release book, dial Up the Dream, Making Your Daughter's Journey to Adulthood the Best for Both of You, you can find both of these books wherever books are sold. And you can find other great resources and contact me at ColleenOGrady.com. And that has two L's and two E's.